Let's turn in our Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20, raising godly children in an ungodly world. Now, last week, we talked about some practical ways and tools to teach our children God's truth. This is a parental responsibility. And today, we are covering the most powerful tool in the world when it comes to teaching and training our children. Now, listen, I'm not saying it's more powerful than the Word of God because it's coupled with the Word of God. You see, if what you're doing is divorced from Scripture, it's powerless. It's powerless. You are coming up with something that is a alternative to the word of God, and therefore it is suspect at best. Now we have seen in our series, there are four main building blocks or disciplines or practices that we need to have in training our children up properly. One is unconditional love, which is you love them all the time, no matter what. That doesn't mean you approve of what they do, but you love them regardless of what they do. And we talked about ways to show that. Firm, consistent discipline was another one. Godly biblical instruction was another one. And lastly today, we are talking about the incredibly important issue of parental example. Parental example. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says this, the just man walketh in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. Now, don't you find it interesting the way that fits together? The just man, the righteous man, the word just means righteous. The righteous man walks in his integrity. And what's the fallout of that? What is the result of that man, that righteous man walking in his integrity? His children are blessed after him. For those of us who have children, how many of us here today want our children to be blessed after us? Raise your hand. Yeah, I figured that was the case. No, I want them to be cursed. You're sick, if that's what you're thinking. No, we want them to be blessed. But you see this powerful, powerful, powerful tool that God has ordained. Can I put it that way? Can I say it that strongly? This issue of being a parental example is incredibly powerful in the life of our children. You see, children are like video recorders that have the record button always on. Okay? Don't ever say to your children, as has been said by generations in the past, do as I say, don't do as I do. You are saying, I have a right to live a life of hypocrisy, but you do not. Okay? Folks, let's not be that way. God will give us all the grace and all the ability and knowledge we need to live as a godly example to our children. Perfect, never perfect. But even that, Be an example of honesty, and when you fail, admit it to your children, okay? If you offend them, if you hurt them, go and ask them. Confess your sin to them and ask them to forgive you for what you did to them. That goes a long way. And by the way, children are a lot more forgiving than adults are. So just keep that in mind. Someone said children are like wet cement. Whatever falls on them makes an impression. Very, very true. Now you're in Proverbs chapter 20. Look with me to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 in verse six. And by the way, I believe Proverbs 22, six means exactly what it says. I know people have come up with new interpretations about a child's bent and all these different things. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think it means just what it says. The initial understanding of it, I think is the right understanding of it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, train up a child in what? The way he should go. Now, how are children going to know the way they should go unless they not only hear it, but they see it? 
This issue of a parental example, those of us who are parents being examples to our children, to our grandchildren, the impact on this, they're not going to come up when they're little or even probably when they're at home. Now, maybe when they're in their teen years, but little kids are not going to come up and, you know, tug on your apron. There you go. Mama, what, what, mama, what, what, what is it? Thank you for being such a godly example to me. Thank you for passing down to me such a godly heritage. I'm so blessed. Thank you for your legacy to me. They're not going to say it, but they're watching. They're watching all the time. God has designed children to look up to their parents as to how they themselves are supposed to be. That is just as natural as natural could be. Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president, said that if a man was to train up a child in the way he or she should go, he must walk that way himself. And how true that is. Look with me to Philippians chapter 3. You know, there's many a parent who've lost their children, and they, they live in guilt over that. Well, let me ask you this, friend. Have you ever gotten with that child, that wayward child, that adult child who is now in rebellion or whatever age the child is, have you ever gotten with them and examining yourself first, is there any fault at your doorstep in that reason they rebelled, that they turned their back on God? You know it's a great idea. Go to them and confess that to them and ask them to forgive you. There may be such a wall of bitterness that is built up that there can be no communication till that wall is broken down. Honest confession can go a long way in that. And you know, sometimes just one encounter like that can put everything on the path of reconciliation. By the way, God is a God of reconciliation. It is God's will that people be reconciled to each other, and more even importantly than that, that we be reconciled back to him. It is really, reconciliation is the theme of the entire word of God. Man sinned in Genesis chapter one. He fell through sin. Chapter three, God provides a way of reconciliation. Right afterwards, God provides that. That shows you the heart of God. And then the rest of the word of God, we have the promise of the Messiah. Jesus came, he paid for sin, went back to heaven. And now those of us who are after that time, we look back at what he did for us. And when you trust Christ the Savior, you're reconciled to God. Those who were living before Jesus died, they look forward to the Messiah who would come and pay for their sins. And when they trusted in him, they were reconciled back to God. It's always an issue of coming back, being reconciled back. Philippians 3, verse 17, it says, Brethren, be followers together of me. Now, this is Paul speaking. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example or an example, okay? Now, the word followers here has as its Greek root word the word which we get our English word mimic from or imitate or imitator from. In other words, Paul was telling these people to imitate his example in following Christ. Now imagine that. You know, we automatically in the days in which we live, we look at that and we think, oh, well, you know, anybody who says that, they're, they're arrogant, they're proud. I mean, they're, they're self-righteous. Was Paul self-righteous? No. This is written under inspiration. This is a biblical principle. Yes, he was either arrogant or he was truly dedicated to Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we know he was truly dedicated to Christ. 
This word in sample or example, it has the idea of a die as being struck or a stamp or a scar. It literally means to strike a blow, to make an impression on, to make an impression on. I am to be an example to my children. I am to strike a blow for God into their character and make an impression on them on how things are supposed to be. That's the issue of example. Now, if I were to ask you in what areas you wanted your children to turn out right, you might include some of these qualities. If I said, how do you want them to be? Well, I want them to be honest. It's a good one. I want them to have integrity, okay? I want them to be genuine. I want them to be courageous. I want them to be godly. I want them to be true to the word of God. I don't want them to be worldly. I don't want them to be materialistic. I want them to be generous to others. I want them to be compassionate to other people. I want them to have a burden for the lost and try to win people to Christ. I want them to be someone who walks by faith and trusts the Lord with all the circumstances of life, making wise choices as they live life. That's what I want for my children. I want them to live surrendered to the will of God. Now, you know where this is going. Well, if that's what we want for them... That's what we need to model for them. The most powerful influence into the life of a child is the life of their parents. That's the most powerful. You know, next week, and I'm not going to do it next week on Mother's Day, but next week on many Mother's Day, I've, I've given you quote after quote in years past about people who were profoundly impacted by their mothers. And you know what? Very seldom is it as much of what they said more so, it's how they were, okay? Now, I know sometimes there's, I can remember when I was a child, my dad would say this or my mom would say that. I know that is true sometimes. But you know what oftentimes it is? I can remember the way my mom was. I can remember the way my dad was. I can remember how my dad always filled in the blank. Okay, you fill in the blank with that. What is that talking about? It's talking about example, Let me give you some powerful truths to remember on this issue. Number one is this. The example of the parent is the most powerful input into the life of a child. You see, we can do many things good and even make some mistakes. And we will. But if we are hypocrites, our children will have little or no interest in Christianity. Because hypocrisy is a denial of the truth in one's life. It's what it is. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, that means anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay? Parents have the responsibility, as we've covered already in depth on that verse, of training our children up in the Word of God and also according to the principles in life, but also according to the principles in actually teaching them that. But you notice, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Listen, there's nothing that makes children more angry than the hypocrisy of their parents. The first part of my ministry, I was working with teenagers, okay? And many, many, many times, as a matter of fact, usually the problems they had stem from something wrong going on at home or the hypocrisy of the parents or this thing or that thing. It isn't that I was siding with the kids. The point, though, is this, folks. We need to be careful of what we're modeling. 
See, our desires for our children will never be realized unless we live out those qualities ourselves. Well, I want my child to be dedicated to Christ. Let me ask you, let's discuss this. Are you dedicated to Christ? Well, I want my child to be an honest person. Are we honest? More about that in a moment. Secondly, the power of example is so strong that this is where we usually get multi-generational qualities from. Let me say it again. The power of example is so strong that this is where we usually get multi-generational qualities from. Let me give you some examples of this. Uh, Let's talk about some negative ones. Alcoholism. You say, oh no, it's in the genes. No, not unless you're carrying a bottle of whiskey there in your Levi's, okay? Friend, listen, alcoholism is not a disease the way the people, no, it's an addiction. It's an addiction, and it's an addiction to something that God says you should not be doing. That's called sin. That's not a disease. Is it true that some people seem weaker in some areas of, of sin than others? Yeah, some, you know, people have different weak areas. That's true. You'd have to be dishonest to not agree with that. But nevertheless, this issue of alcoholism, why is it so often, not always, but so often, when alcoholism is an issue in a family, you find there's multi-generations that had the same problem. Where did that come from, okay? God didn't make them that way. And let me tell you something, you never become an alcoholic if you don't drink, okay? Let's face up to that. Let's be honest about it. My heart breaks if we drive through on a Friday night or Saturday night, if we drive downtown for some reason or go by the downtown. You see all these people and they're like magnetically being drawn to the bars. Friends, let me tell you something. That's a disaster. Get away from those places. Nothing good is going to come out of that. You read, well, this person was stabbed. Okay, when were they stabbed? They were stabbed Saturday morning. When Saturday morning? 2 a.m. Where? East St. Germain, down around where all the bars are. Well, let me ask you a question. If you wouldn't have been there to begin with, it would have never happened. You see what I'm saying? Well, I don't care. I don't care. It makes me feel good. Does this, does that. You pay the price. You reap what you sow. I'm not trying to be hard. I'm just telling you the way it is. I'm pleading for sanity on this stuff. Now, if, if, uh, as in many families, okay, and it's very prevalent here in central Minnesota, you know, oh, we're having a, a family picnic, and, uh, you know, everybody break out the beer and all this kind of stuff, and then there's little Jimmy, and he's four years old, and can I have some, can I have some? Oh, isn't it cute? I'll give him a sip of my beer. Isn't that cute? to give Jimmy some beer. Look at him. Oh, he likes beer. Isn't that cute? You've made a great mistake in the life of that child. It's better if he never tastes it. Yeah, but he likes the way it tastes. Yeah, that's where the problem begins. That's where the problem begins. I didn't mean I'm going off on this, but this is a big one in our area here, isn't it? And really all around the country. We had a man once, uh, he was, uh, had his child in our, and I think he was in, the child was in the preschool, definitely in kindergarten, or maybe it was preschool to kindergarten. Anyways, there was a student agreement that had to be signed by, by the parents. The child was too young to sign that. And one of the things in there was, because we don't customize a student agreement, it's the same for everybody regardless of their age. So one of the things in there, which obvious for a kindergartner, abstain from the use of alcoholic beverages. 
Well, that makes sense, wouldn't you? I mean, five-year-old, right? But you know, it, doesn't, it didn't say anything there where the parent couldn't drink. Now you shouldn't, but it didn't say anything where they couldn't. But the parent looked at it. It was the dad, sadly. He looked at that and he said, so you're telling me that I can't drink alcohol. I said, no, it doesn't say that. It says your kindergartner can't. Now he's telling me this. I never told him he couldn't. See, the Holy Spirit's working on him. And he says, yeah, but if she can't do it, I shouldn't do it. And I said, well, I would agree with that. What what am I going to say? Oh, no, that's okay. No, I didn't say. Well, I would agree with that. And he said, we're not putting her in. They took away a quality Christian education from their child because of his love for beer. And that's what it was. It was beer. Okay? What is wrong with people today. I hope it doesn't happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if that girl grows up and does not, as a believer, live for Christ and live a godly Christian life. It wouldn't surprise me. I don't wish that on her, but it wouldn't surprise me. And you know what? That man's going to have that on his hands. What about drugs? You might say, well, my dad was a heroin addict. That's why I'm a heroin addict. Okay. No. That's not why you're a heroin addict. But the power of his example. See, here's what happens, folks, with these substances. Here's what happens. People get stressed out. We all turn to something to cope. Could be illegal drugs. It could be legal drugs. Could be a lot of things. By the way, that's why we have an addictions program to teach people what to turn to, which happens to be Jesus Christ. But they learn by watching. They learn by example. How do I cope with the issues of life? Okay, well, you know what mom does? She goes and she drinks. Well, then I guess that's what I should do. That's how I cope. Now, mom will probably never say it, but that's what she's saying by her example. This is so powerful in the life of a child. How about physical and verbal abuse passed down through example? How about sexual abuse is passed down by example? How about immorality? It's passed down by example. Parents, fathers addicted to pornography, all of a sudden, their children get into pornography. How does that happen? It's passed down through influence. Feelings of worthlessness passed down through example. Criminal behavior. See, most issues our children learn about life are caught more than taught. They catch it. They catch it by attitudes. They catch it by actions. Look with me to Matthew chapter 18. We've talked enough here about the negative of that. Let's look at the positive. See, the positive issue of example is true as well. And it's true in the spiritual realm. Many pastors. Now, have you ever thought of this? Now, this is not an absolute. None of these things are absolute. And I've already said that, but it bears repeating. Matthew chapter 18 Not all, but did you know that many pastors come from or even begin with several generations of pastors before them? Did you know that? It's very common to meet a pastor and he says, yeah, my dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. It's interesting. Did somebody put a gun to his head and said, you need to be a pastor? No. But you see, something was passed down. And he has a will of his own. That child, that young person has a will of his own, but he decided, 
See, something made an impact on his life for good. He decided, this is what I'm going to do. I'm open to this for my life because of what I've seen in my father and what I've seen in my grandfather and sometimes what I've seen in my great-grandfather. Isn't that amazing? Powerful, powerful. See, this is the matter of the power of example as much as anything. Folks, what the children learn by example played a huge part in how they turned out as adults. That's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. We need to be careful how we live. Look at this in Matthew 18, verse 6. Jesus said, But whoso shall offend or cause to stumble one of these little ones, talking about children, which believe. In other words, a young believer who's a child. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. The Lord does not take kindly to causing children to stumble by those of us who are adults. And can I say particularly parents? This is powerful. This, that's, that's a sobering verse, isn't it? Matthew eighteen six. Number three, we teach our children what words mean by the way we live. If you don't get anything else, get this today. We teach our children what words mean by the way we live. I am an observer of human character. And I've seen this over and over and over. Us having had a church now for a long time and having had a Christian school for a long time, we've seen a lot of people you know, come and kids come through the school and graduate and all that. And it is amazing the impact of the way the parents are in the lives of the children. Our lives are walking dictionaries to our children. The definitions of words are formed by our actions. Do you understand what I'm saying on this? As a matter of fact, what you usually remember first about your parents is not so much what they said, but again, how they were. Here, let me give you some examples of this. A child may hear from mom or dad, we're Christians. I'm a Christian, okay? Then the child thinks, I wonder what a Christian is. Well, the biggest influence on what a Christian is in the life of that child is the way mom or dad lives. That defines it to them. You say, oh, no, 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 I'll I'll show them what it is in the Bible. I get that, I get that. And we need to do that. Biblical instruction, we need to do that. But what does it mean to be a Christian as far as a quality in a person's life? That will be taught to our children by the way we live our lives. What does it mean to love Jesus Christ? Oh, the people in the South love to use the term love the Lord as equaling being saved. The two are not the same. You can be saved and not love the Lord. If you're living as a believer, contrary to the will of God, in rebellion, out of the will of God, you don't love the Lord because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What does it mean to love Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a dedicated and faithful Christian? Your children are going to hear growing up and coming to church here. We should be faithful and dedicated Christians. They naturally think because God wired them that way, oh, well, mom and dad are faithful and dedicated Christians. And so that will be their definition. What does it mean to be a godly Christian husband and a godly dad in the home? Your children know that that's what dad is supposed to be. We will define that by how we live. What does it mean to be a godly Christian wife and mom in the home? That'll be defined by how we live. 
By the way, parents, can I tell you this? Usually, not always, but usually your sons are going to look for a wife with the same qualities you have, ladies. And men, can I tell you this? Your daughters are going to look for a husband with the same qualities as you have. I say, well, I don't want them to do that. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's being programmed into them as I speak. It's just the way it is. Now, again, there can be exceptions, but usually that is the case. What does it mean to be in submission to authority? Does submission to authority mean I'm in submission to authority as long as I agree with them? But if I disagree with them, I don't need to submit. Well, that's not submission to authority. Are we going to do that? Are you going to do that with the government? Are you going to do that with your taxes? There's a name for that. Call an inmate. Okay? Right, Matt? Something like that. What does it mean to be an honest person? Kids are watching. Kids are watching. You go to the store, they give you too much money back. You get home, you realize it, or you even realize it right then. You've got your little children in tow, and they're watching. You get in the car and say, huh, well, they gave me too much money back. Oh, well, tough luck. Well, you've just defined what honest means to your children. They know what honest is, especially if they come here. So honest to them then means be honest most of the time, But if you can get an advantage out of it, then to cut the corners, okay. And they start doing that with you, see how you feel about it. Why'd you lie to me? Well, they're not going to say, well, because you lied at the store. You pretended the money was yours and it wasn't. Don't you talk to me like that. Truth hurts, doesn't it? What is really important for my life? What we live for, what we talk about, what we do with our time is what's important in our lives. Do we understand that? I said, well, I'm teaching my children to love the Lord and serve him and all that. Are you loving the Lord and serving him? How does the Lord fit into my everyday life? How important, here's one, how important is a local church? How important is it? We define that by how we live. A study once disclosed that if both mom and dad attend church regularly, 72% of their children remain faithful. If only dad, 55% remain faithful. Ladies, are you ready for this? If only, mom, 15%. And that's really an issue of dad too, isn't it? If neither attend regularly, you ready for this? Only 6% remain faithful. You know what, friends? Here we are. It's Minnesota. It's summertime, okay? And the mentality of people who live in Minnesota is this. You know what? Winter is over. I have a right to miss as many Sundays as I want and do what I want because the weekends are mine. I have a right to that because I've been in my house all winter. You know what? You can do that because you're a human being and you have the freedom to choose, but it's not a good choice. And you're going to be teaching your children something. The statistics speak for themselves. The example of parents and adults is more important than all the efforts of the church in Sunday school. And that's true. Look with me to Titus chapter 2 in verse 1. This is talking about life in the local church, the church family. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men, the older men, be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity or love, in patience, These are good qualities. The aged women, 
Likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home or homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God be not blasphemed. See, folks, if we are not real, if we're not living proper examples, people will look and say, I don't see any difference in Christianity than what I have. That's blasphemy to God because he says he makes a difference. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things showing thyself a pattern, and that word pattern is again the word example, of good works, showing ourselves an example of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is in the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. You know what that says? It says this. Our lives are so real, our lives are so genuine, then even those who oppose us, if they say nasty things about us, they're ashamed of it because they know in their hearts it's not true because there's nothing really to go after us on. That's the way we're supposed to live our lives as Christians. See, all these issues we have looked at so far today can be a tremendous burden if we are not committed to truly having Christ first in our lives. Oh, I'm afraid of what my kids overheard. I'm afraid of what I'm doing. I'm afraid that they may find, I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that. Hey, you know what? If we just simply commit ourselves to doing it God's way, we don't have to be afraid. If I go in the right direction, and if my life is gonna have an impact on my children, and I go in the right direction, then I'm gonna take them in the right direction. That's exactly what God wants. But if there's something in my life that they know isn't right, and I will not correct it because I'm just stubborn and dug in on it, they catch that. And guess what? Don't be surprised if they have one or two or three areas in their lives where they're going to be stubborn and their heels dug in on. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, all thy soul, with all thy might. And we've covered that passage in weeks earlier. And you know, it talks about that's the way it needs to be for the parents. Then we teach them and pass down a godly heritage from there. But if it's not real in our lives, we're not going to do it with them the way we should. Number four, lastly, the answer to being a godly example to our children is by being a godly follower of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul again, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. You see, if we live the way we should, we will not have to worry about what our children pick up from us. Boy, that is freeing, isn't it? That's just so freeing. See, the, the old saying, well, he's a chip off the old block. That's usually used in a negative connotation, isn't it? How about from a positive perspective? Wouldn't that be great? People look at your children and they say, well, they're a chip off the old block, meaning if they're godly kids, that means mom and dad were godly too. It's the way God implanted it, folks. Listen, the blessings of the Lord maketh rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Why are we shooting ourselves in the foot on this kind of stuff? One man said, if you try to improve one person by being a good example, you're improving too. If you try to improve someone without being a good example, you won't improve anybody. And that is true. Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. That's why he could say, follow me. Because he was going in the right direction and he knew if people followed him, they would go in the right direction too. That's for us parents. Now, lastly, I should have said this is last. If you want your children to see what Christ will do for them, then let them see what Christ has done for you. And that is the way it is. You know what I can say? I can say with total freeness and total honesty to my children, to our children, God will never fail you. He is true to everything he's ever said. He loves us with an everlasting love. He honors his word, every single letter of it. He honors his word. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He will bless our lives if we order them according to scripture. I can say that in all honesty to my children, to our children, and guess what? If they believe it, their lives will be better, won't they? So what has Christ done for you? Well, number one, let me say today, if you're here, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, you're not a Christian yet, you may be gathering information, but listen, having the right information is not the same as putting your trust in Jesus Christ to save you. John chapter three and verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world, that's all of us, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is it that you are supposed to believe in him about? Some people say, well, I believe in him, meaning I believe he existed. Well, that's good, but it's not enough. He came for a reason. Can I, can I give you the context of John 3, 16? Because that is incredibly important. Jesus came to be our savior. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. That's what we needed. We needed a payment for sin. Look up here. In this hand representing you and me. My wallet representing all the things we do wrong. The Bible calls them sin. We miss the mark of God's perfection. We violate God's word. We have all sinned. We've all sinned against God. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. Now to go to heaven, to live with him forever in heaven, you have to be sinless. None of us are. So logic would tell you that no one's going to heaven. Well, if that was the whole story, that would be true. No one would go to heaven because we're separated from God. But see, God doesn't want us to be lost forever. And by the way, if you don't go to heaven, you spend forever separated from God in hell. He doesn't want that for anyone. See, no matter how hard you live your life, no matter how good you try to be, it won't take away the sin. We need the sin gone. So how does that happen? Well, this hand representing Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He came into the world for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he gave his son to die for our sins and to make the payment for our sins so we don't have to. Jesus came and he took our sin upon himself and he made the complete payment, leaving us nothing to pay for, rose from the grave. And he says that whosoever, anyone, if you will believe or trust in him that he made that payment for you, he says, you shall not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. The moment you believe, he gives you life that will never end. He gives you a home in heaven everlasting life, eternal life. It can be yours. You simply trust in Christ as your savior and you can have it. That's where it begins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You might say, I got that. I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Then friend, let me say this, especially if you're a parent, if you're saved, you don't have to do this next thing 
as far as getting into heaven, because the only way you go to heaven is by trusting in Christ. You're not saved by your good works. You're saved by trusting in Christ. But if you're saved, secondly, you should surrender yourself to the will of God. And what does that mean? It's simply, Lord, I've trusted in Christ as my Savior. I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to trust you for everything in life. I'm going to believe what you're saying. I'm going to, I'm going to trust this to be true. See, it is time we come to grips with the issues of honesty and reality, folks, and quit making excuses for wrong behavior. Well, I, I know what you say, but I don't like that. That's not what I want to do. You pay the price. God wants our lives to be blessed, but they're not going to be blessed unless we follow his word. Romans 6, 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey. You see, it's a choice. His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. God says you have two choices. In one way leads to destruction, the other way leads to blessing. Take the word of God, believe it. Number three, obey the word. In other words, whatever God wants, whatever he says, by his grace, that is what we will do. That is how we will live. Now listen, let's put this in the context of this morning. If you're a parent, or if one day you're going to be a parent, why not get this settled today? Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. He'll save you. No matter what you do after that, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you're saved. But a person who puts their faith in Christ and then doesn't go on with the Lord, oh, they're still saved, but they're going to forfeit so many blessings of life. And you're going to fall prey to the law of sowing and reaping in a negative sense. And life is not going to go well. Now, you have the freedom to choose, but that's not a good way to go. God loves us. He's given us his word so we can enjoy his blessings. So once we're saved, what we ought to do is we ought to surrender ourselves to the will of God. Say, Lord, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. I hate every false way. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to believe you. And then whatever his word says, that's what we do. And guess what? You don't have to worry about what your kids see because what they're going to see is what's right. And if at times we blow it and we mess up, you go to your children and say, you know what? I'm really sorry for what I did. There, this thing happened. You know what? It was not a good time for me. I blew up. I shouldn't have done that. I showed anger. That was not right. Would you forgive me for that? Boy, that makes a difference. Let me close with this. The best safeguard for the younger generation is a good example by the older generation. I tell well, I'm concerned about future generations in America. Do you have a family? Start making an impact. Start making an impact. It's not going to change otherwise. The lost, unless they get saved, they're just going to get more and more perverted and twisted. It's always the result of sin. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.